You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Getting noticed by the press is a challenge for many small businesses and startups, and it's always been that way. If you've been in that situation, you know how frustrating it is to see large brands have their every move chronicled in the press while you struggle to book a meeting with a writer or editor. Whether you consider public relations to be part of the marketing function or not, both industries faced drastic changes when the internet arrived. PR is now much more democratized than ever before, with the balance of power shifting from big agencies to do-it-yourself public relations. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. On this episode of B2B Nation, we're talking to entrepreneur and do-it-yourself PR advocate Dmitry Dragolev. Dmitry makes tools that help connect small businesses and startups with the press. He's going to offer some tips on providing valuable content to media outlets that add value to their content while promoting your brand. We're also going to talk about the new metrics of PR, which steer away from counting press mentions and now include SEO value, qualified traffic, and revenue. Have a listen. Dmitry Dragolev, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a founder. I run a software company called Just Reach Out. It helps people pitch journalists and get featured in press all on your own. And I'm also SEO hacker. I uh, run a academy um, course that people subscribe to and um, learn how to do PR, how to pitch journalists and bloggers all on their own. Um, I run a few blogs as well. Um, so um, that's my world, SEO, PR, and an intersection of the two. <laughs> all right. So we have talked a lot on B2B Nation over the past few months about how much B2B marketing has changed in the last, say, 10 or 15 years. Uh, Same can be said of commerce. Online commerce has changed the game, obviously, in retail. Public relations is a completely new game now as well. Why don't you take us on a little tour of how that business has changed, even since you started doing this? Yeah, I mean, I'm a DIY PR guy. I'm kind of, I've never went to school for this. I never really practiced it. I never really worked at a PR firm. I just taught it myself. I taught this thing to myself and I just out of sheer need. I just needed to pitch journalists and get out there. And so in 2007 or eight, when I started doing this, you know, we didn't really have many tools. There were, you know, the PR newswires of the world. You paid a lot of money. You got your feature in a press release. And then you hoped somebody picked it up. I, early on, just didn't have the money to do it. So when I was at a startup in 2007, uh, I needed to pitch journalists directly. And so I literally, I picked up the phone. I started calling people. It didn't work out. Then I, 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 I emailed Walt Mossberg, who was like the tech reporter mecca. He was, you know, personal technology columnist at Wall Street Journal. And he later on became, you know, a very big name in the, in the journalism space. And I don't know what I was doing. I was pitching him like uh, a design app. I was working at a design shop. And like, it had nothing to do with what he was doing. And then he decided he's going to have a call with me. And then we got on this call and it was like horrific. Like I felt so bad because it meant that I was wasting his time. It was not at all. And I was trying to adopt this design app into like what he was doing. And it just didn't make any sense. He's like, can you, can consumers use this thing to get feedback on designs? I'm like, yeah, maybe. So 
that was a huge lesson learned to me. Like, oh, oh man, like I, I really need to invest in researching people now that, you know, there's internet and all this stuff. And I, that uh, from that time on, I started building relationships with journalists and I just went a completely different route. And I think nowadays there's all these cool tools where you can see a like Haro or there's a new one called Turkle right now. There's tons of them. We index some of them, ProfNet. And you can, you know, look at questions that journalists have and do some analysis on kind of their interests and what their, their beats are. You can create all these fancy lists. And back then I felt like all I had was just kind of Google and I could buy lists of people, but I was very prohibitive uh, to, to buy anything or to spend money. And um, I feel like it's still a little archaic, right? Even right now, people still go to PR firms for some reason. And I just, you know, shy away from it. I'm kind of, you know, I got my school where I teach people how to do PR on their own. I got my software, how to do the, your PR on your own. And I just want to make sure people do this themselves, you know? So how do you think the balance of power has shifted? We were talking right before I hit record. Um, you know, when I last worked as a journalist, the worry was that PR people were the gatekeepers. To land an interview, you had to go through them. Now you yeah. have online platforms like you mentioned, like yours, like Haro, that make the connections easier. So I think it, it has shifted the balance of power, but yeah. are there, the relationships can also seem sort of superficial, right? Like, Absolutely. I, I don't think there's that much value to PR firms at all right now. Like I, I used to say, forget PR firms, do PR yourself on my software homepage, like the, major, the, the landing page. And it was like the major page. And we moved it to the homepage. And I still believe it. Like PR firms, you know, you pay 10,000 a month. What do they do? They turn around, they have their Rolodex of people, they send all these emails to these contacts. These contacts know that these people get paid to pitch these lists of people. And yeah, they might help you come up with a story angle or an idea and they might, but the first month is usually just wasted on just them thinking about an idea and then they're going to test it the next month. You are much better off pitching journalists yourself. And these days you have all the data, you can find their email address and there's nothing that says that, hey, you built a company, you built this team and you can't send an email to a journalist about what you do. There's just nothing out there that says you can't do that. In fact, it's probably gonna be better than another person who doesn't know you at all, who you pay money to, who needs to get to know you and pitch you. It's just the value prop has kind of shifted now. And I feel as though people, more and more brands are now, they employ their own PR people, their comms people that are part of the team. They understand what the mission of the company is. And they're using tools like ours or other tools to pitch journalists and get featured in press on their own, building relationships themselves. And then they can use those relationships ongoing. So it's not like, you got news, you got funding, let's get that out there and forget about it. It's like an ongoing relationship. Like you, you create data every month on whatever you do, or you share expertise every month. And every month you get into press, you know, those are the types of clients or customers that use us or we work with. It's like constant data creation or information that makes sure that you're in the press all the time. It's not necessarily like, launching or, 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 or VC money. Those are kind of like 
just crappy stories that I don't really like believe in that much. It's, it's okay, but it, it doesn't really help anybody, you know? I feel like I remember probably, gosh, more than 20 years ago now, seeing a satire piece about how Microsoft was breaking ground on a new building and it was like front page on a tech media site. And the point was anything a big vendor does gets notice and gets attention. Yeah. So what tips do you have for companies that are having trouble getting noticed because everything the big guy does makes news and their mere existence can't keep up with that? Yeah. I mean, we serve the small business, which is the toughest market, the, the, guy, the, the companies that need to get attention and they can't. And so a lot of the times I see people grab on to like the big brands where like the Google of this, where the alternative to Google this or Microsoft. I don't typically, those stories are not, not great. What I usually recommend is coming up with proprietary data or some kind of information that is very specific to what you know or what you do. Like we have a company that is a search engine for cars. Obviously they have data on who searches what, at what times, what are the best cars, what are the worst cars priced, you know, scams and all that stuff. Um, They're great, great position for that kind of stuff, but they weren't thinking that way for their PR. Um, We have companies that are not positioned that way where say they're, we have a company that does, it's like math software, right? Uh, so they did st- studies on cleanliness of subway cars across different towns. And so they, they hired a firm to help them do that. They came up with some data and then they published it saying, hey, here are the most clean subway cars. Here are the, the least clean. This is how we did this. Different kind of lifestyle studies, but data and studies usually go a long way. Journalists will pick it up. It's good information. You know, the last company that I grew from zero to 40 million page views was a polling app. All it was is just a little stupid little polling app. And we didn't know how to grow it. We didn't know how to get it in press all the time. And then I said, hey, there's news being published all the time. At the time, it was like, the new iOS was coming out, Xbox 360 versus PS4 was a big thing. So we started doing these polls on every breaking piece of news and just getting data on it because news were coming out and journalists didn't have time to, to create data around it. And then we would pitch the data back to them. We'll get featured with our polls and then we would repeat that. And I firmly believe that if you want to be impressed all the time, you need something more than what your product does. So data usually is easy. I would say if that's a little hard to to really wrap your head around, maybe just Taro and answering questions uh, from journalists. I mean, there's, we we index like five or seven different sources right now where it's, you know, there's hashtag journal request, there's source bottle, there's charcoal, there is, lots of these different platforms now where, you know, you can um, find questions from journalists and answer them. So I would start there. That's the lowest hanging fruit and then move over to um, data. Do a lot of people still put a lot of value on the pitch? I'm going to write like four drafts of this email and 
try and figure out what's the one. I mean, look, we all get a lot of email, right? And yeah. you, you, you make up your mind usually in the first couple of words, if you even open it. So um, is, is there still a lot of value based on that pitch? And, and what's, the kind of, what's the kind of approach that you see working there? So the, the when I talk about the pitch, I say one thing is the subject line is pretty much the most important part. You want to invest as much time in the subject line as possible and analyze the open rates on the subject line. I do say follow up on Twitter a lot of times or LinkedIn once you pitch somebody because these days with the amount of email everybody gets, it's usually the case they don't see it the very first time. Uh, the subject line is where I would do most of my work, not so much the pitch. The pitch can be just a like a little three, four liner, just, hey, got a story for you. Like I, I saw one today, like, hey, saw you cover Jeffrey Gatzenberg. Uh, we have some news. He did something for us or something. Are you all interested? And subject is kind of like scoop, re um, news on Jeff Gatzenberg or something like that. That's a big name. So that might kind of pop. But what they do is they'll usually send 10 emails with one subject line and they'll see what the open rate is. Then 10 more with another subject line and they'll test two or three of them. And the subject line open rate should be around 50%. Um, that's what the, usually what we see with our customers uh, that are using our software. If your subject line is less than 50% and you keep sending more than 30 emails, we will actually cut your account and then we'll have um, like our team that gives you feedback on your pitches, intervene, give you some, some help with your pitches so that you can continue using the platform more successfully. And I think it's important to, to really for everybody to kind of adjust your outreach there. And then your, your response rate should be around 12% on the pitch. So on the email. So if you're sending something and your open rate is less than 50, if your response rate is less than 15 or 12, you're doing something wrong there, whether targeting, maybe, maybe the, the actual subject line is bad, but those are like the, the triggers and the metrics that I usually look for in a successful campaign. And then uh, our software will allow you to scale things up if those numbers are looking good, uh, response rate and open rate. For small businesses and startups, they probably don't have a dedicated PR person or maybe a marketing communications person. So who are the people who work with platforms like yours in mm -hmm. a small, are they marketing? Are they? I see more and more content marketers. So um, what I've seen in the past five years is that PR kind of went into SEO. More and more people coming to us are people that are don't want to just get featured in press because a lot of times it doesn't really matter. Like if you're in Forbes or in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, because guess what? Even if you're on homepage in New York Times, traffic is going to go die, die down in the next week, in the next three, four days, it's done. What these people are doing a lot of times, they're systematically building authority for their websites. So they're writing content that's really good and they want links to move that content higher and higher on Google search results. And there's competition there, of course, but so more and more of these people are content marketers. So our sales team, one of the, I think, things that I, I've seen is like to qualify a customer, how many content marketers do you guys have on your team? If you got nothing, probably not a good fit for us, right? Because even if you just have one comms person, like I, that might be an okay fit, but honestly, like, 
people that use our platform get more and more value out of it. It's kind of like you, you want rankings on Google out of it, and you want PR to help you with those rankings. You want those links from different places. So you're pitching studies, data, something interesting about, about yourself. Like we have a, like a nut butter company, you know, they, and they have like a guide to which nuts to use for which body type. You know, you're pregnant, you eat these nuts, you, you're, you're keto, you eat these nuts, you eat this and that. And so now they have data. So they go to all these foodie blogs. They're like, hey, you guys are covering nuts, but you don't have this guide. We have this guide. Do you want to cover it at all? That kind of stuff. Like, that's what I feel like. And so we have a content marketer there. I do see more and more content marketers. That's the profession in most businesses that kind of engage with it because they're good at writing content or directing somebody to write it and also at pitching it. Um, traditional PR people, sometimes like PR consultants or, or agencies, we have like a, a whole sliver of just agencies that do this work on behalf of clients, content marketing and that kind of work. Do you see SEO being the metric that people are using to judge the effectiveness of their media outreach? That's what started happening, yeah. Yes. So um, when I started in 2014, I built this app myself. There was just a few of us. This was just to get featured in press. I didn't know anything about like SEO or really, I didn't really care. Right. And then eventually, I think in the last like five, four years, like 2017, 18, 19, like I started seeing this thing where People were, didn't really care more, like Wall Street Journal, all right, whatever. Because Forbes and all of these people, like they did no follow on their links. And no follow means like no juice is passed over to you. And so then people started saying, well, maybe I should just work on content, create content that ranks, and then I can get traffic from it. Because, I mean, that's how we get most of our inbound sales is because we rank number one for media pitch. We rank number one for PR outreach. We rank number one for alternative to decision and because we rank number one for these terms you know we get inbound and a lot of our customers want to rank for keywords and to rank for keywords you can't just write content throw it up on your blog you need to do pr around that content so i started more and more merging that even my students at pr that converts um, most of them we were working on long-term campaigns to rank for keywords for doing PR. So yeah, more and more. That's how they measure their PR efforts because it's no longer, you know, like Meltwater. Like that company is just so old school. It's like PR managers who literally use Meltwater to count how many mentions they got over the year of their brand or how many times it's mentioned on Twitter. These these metrics are just so obtuse and, and out, out there. Like Nobody really cares how many mentions or this. So what I care about is like, how did my traffic do on, from organic or Google, whatever? How's my inbound coming in? How are my sales doing from this activity? And PR, like you just can't do these one hit wonders. Let's get on Wall Street Journal. Let's get on Business Insider. Let's get on TechCrunch. Let's get on VentureBeat. You just can't do this over and over and over and over again. So that's why you need um, some kind of strategy around SEO that the PR is going to feed, you know? Do you think executives, especially we had a guest who kind of talked about, you know, the CEO says, well, let's get featured in the Wall Street Journal. And like you said, that that may be nice for a couple of days, maybe. And it's oh. if you're a startup, hey, the Wall Street Journal is a big storied brand. 
you see people who come to you and it's like the exec team is still thinking New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Oh, yes, it does. It just pisses me off every time. I was just like, I was on the call yesterday. We had the client. They're like, we want to do New York Times, Wall Street Journal, these lists. And I'm like, why? Why would you? Well, we have investors. We just want to announce this news that we're doing this. I'm like, it's not going to help you in any way. Like, it's going to please this board of like, a bunch of old white dudes that are going to look at this thing and say, oh, yes, did you see that article on Wall Street Journal? Yeah, that was amazing. That was really nice. Uh, they might email it around. Everybody might pat each other on the back. It's just like a wasted effort altogether. Like, we're going to, like, throw our heads against the wall. We're going to, like, get to somebody over there, and then they're going to write this thing. Like, who cares? At the end of the day, it's not going to help you in any really way. You might put some fancy logos on it. You might print it out and put it on the wall. But it's not going to really move the needle long term. So I think, you know, you need to work on something that's going to rank you. Like, say, you know, you're going to rank for a keyword such as, you know, best cold email software or something like that. And to get there, you need to get podcasts, get, I don't know, blog posts going, guest posts, uh, get mentions of your data going. And then at the end of this campaign for four months or three months, you rank number one for cold email software, boom, you know, you have, you know, active traffic coming in, you know, like I rank for the word cold email. I get tons of inbound from people that are asking for uh, cold email software and tips and templates. And that's just off my little blog. And I have all these other software providers that are trying to outrank me, you know, but I've done this for so long. They only started doing this, you know, they have an SEO team. So really have a bigger goal in mind. So to an exec, I'd say, okay, we might do that, but that might be priority two or three. For us, we want to kind of do recurring revenue with something that's sustainable, that keeps us giving more and more traffic so that in three months, I can see 200 people visiting my site from this one post that I'm going to promote. And that's going to be my goal. And from that, I'm going to convert 3% over to paying customers. And those are like the numbers I, I like to, th- to see and really work towards as a goal. When I think about PR and SEO, I want to like think, all right, this post, number one on Google, 200 a day or 200 a week or whatever, 3% conversion. At the top, I asked you to take us on a tour of how this business has changed in the last 10 or 15 years. And I compared it to marketing and kind of, there it is. It's the KPIs, it's the metrics, it's how you judge success. Yeah, in a sense. I mean, that Wall Street Journal is going to link to your blog post. Your blog post will probably rank a little higher on Google. And then you're going to try and get more links to it by the time you get to number one on Google. What's the traffic going to be from that post? How much can you convert over? And I think that's where it's at now. It's not so much like how much traffic can I get at a one-time thing feature in New York Times, you know? So question we ask just about everybody on B2B Nation, what is the one tool that you absolutely cannot work without? You know, I signed up for Hey, uh, it's by 37 Signals. Uh, it's a, it's an awesome little email. Speaking of email, we talk about email a lot in this interview. They just kind of, it's just so refreshing to use. I feel like they took the behavior we all have with regular mail when we come home 
like we kind of sort out all the crap and then we're kind of like, so oh, I'll get back to this. I'll put it here and I'll kind of need to do some with these. They kind of took that behavior and just put it in the app. And there's so many apps out there and I've tried a lot of them, but I feel like I use it every day now. So, and it's really helped me not get tons of stuff into my email. Like if nobody, if that person has never emailed me, that just goes to a screener. And I love that feature. I mean, like people that have emailed me before, they get into my inbox, but you know, it, it, it's changed the way I do email and how much time I spend on it. So certainly that's one thing, one tool I can't live without. <laughs> Bill's recycling bin and the pile to be gone through at a later date. That's how I sort out my, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, they got, they got this thing called paper trail, which is great. It like takes all the bill kind of stuff, goes there. I don't have to do anything. And uh, there's this thing called feed where it's like all the feed kind of like automatic email kind of stuff goes there. So I can check it once in a while. So really like my in inbox, it's called inbox in there. It's just small. It's maybe like 10 emails a day or sometimes 15. Man, I used to have like 117 emails and my screener would have like 72, but I don't care. Like those people I've never gotten anything from. So if they're cold emailing me, they're just hanging out in the screener. If I have time to kill, I'll look at it a little bit, but I love that feature. Like you've never emailed me, you all go to like, a place over there. Do you ever worry when you're enjoying hay that too many journalists might be using it and that they're not? Getting <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's a new product and they've blown up a lot. Uh, uh, possibly, maybe, you know, that's where I think Twitter or LinkedIn might come in handy is like a quick little ping. A friend of mine has a newsletter on LinkedIn, which I think is a product that's not available to everybody. You have to be a constant content machine pretty much on LinkedIn. They'll let you use this newsletter. But he's got 318,000 people on this newsletter. And he says that newsletter goes directly to inbox, no matter which platform you use. I'm like, okay, I'll have to try it. But um, so far, that's like the best it seems like in terms of getting into the inbox. All right, Dimitri Dragolev, thanks for appearing on B2B Nation. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Dimitri Dragolev for joining us on B2B Nation. If you found this episode insightful, share it with a friend or colleague and subscribe to B2B Nation on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thank you to the team here at Technology Advice, Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, and Emily Whalen, for whom PR is not just a job title, it's a way of life. And thanks to Mnemonics in the Guild for our rockin' theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.